0: Yeah, I, uh, I've learned every time, just take the step. If you're thinking about it, just just do it. And, you know, it take small, small steps, make small experiments, mm-hmm. you know, fail small if you need to, mm-hmm. and uh, just surround yourself with great, you know, loving, supportive, smart, experienced people.
1: Welcome to the Young, Wild, Financially Free podcast, an audio experience where we don't just talk about it, we live it. Happy, happy new year, everybody. Welcome to 2020, winter new decade now. And I know that all of you are making new year's resolutions and uh, trying to get healthier and richer and better looking. And I hope that lasts for a long, long time. Uh, Happy new year. Welcome to the podcast. This is the Young Wild Financially Free podcast. My name is Angie Roberts. I'm your host. And I have a co host named Matt Typke, who could not join me for this intro. But you will hear a lot from him in this episode. Our guest today is Mr. Ben Kogut. He's a University of Texas alum, and he is a uh, just a great guy and a professional in the commercial real estate world. And we were just very blessed to have him on the podcast to learn some of his insights, some of his expertise. We had a great conversation with Ben. Hope you guys enjoy it. Again, Happy New Year. Without further ado, here is Mr. Ben Kogut. Glad to be here, guys. Come cool, on, man. Thanks. How are you Thanks doing? doing? Thanks so much for having me. Of yeah. course, yeah. Um, so our audience knows, um, but you may not. So the way that we structure our, our podcast is to kind of dive into your story a little bit and then really learn about what you're an expert at or what you have experience in and kind of what you're passionate about. Um, do you listen to podcasts? Yes, I do. What's your favorite podcast? Oh, you well, like your uh,
0: yeah, aside from this one, of course. Oh, there you no, go. There you, go. <laughs> um, you know, I listen to a lot of different financial podcasts. I've listened to Tim Ferriss. I've oh. listened to Bigger Pockets. I've listened to um, mostly mostly financial ones. Sure. That's typically where I go. Yeah.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, we're big Bigger Pockets guys. Um, Gary Vee always puts out a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. He's fun and inspirational. Um, I have one like off the wall, which is the uh, armchair expert, which is a uh, Dax Shepard's an actor and he interviews a lot of people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I'm... his
1: podcasts are like three hours like long each episode. Yeah. Which...
0: Well, I, I travel a lot, so I, I get to have these long spurts where I listen to podcasts and actually a lot of audible books and stuff like that. So yeah. it just kind of depends on the mood I'm in. But generally speaking, it's either financial or like personal growth types of you know, things where I actually feel like I'm sitting there, but I feel like I'm being productive and getting right. motivated, Yeah, kind of stuff.
1: Have you always been into kind of like that, um, I guess, self-motivation, kind of the pursuit of success um, your whole life, or did that start after school, before? You
0: know? um, I would say reflecting back, yeah, it's it's always been something I've enjoyed. Mm-hmm. In, in high school, one of the things my parents sent me to was this camp called Eagle University, and I learned a lot of really valuable lessons being there, mm-hmm. um, some of which um, I can share. I can share now. Or yeah, right. okay. yeah. So okay. So I don't know yeah. how uh, old our audience is or whatnot, but there's there's a few things that um have about really 150. Year 150 old? years old. <laughs> yeah. All right. So well, these are these are lifelong lessons <laughs> right, that anybody can exactly. work. So um, if I look back on my career, these are things that have, that have worked for me. So uh, number one. It's better to copy genius than create mediocrity. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that led me to uh, another thought that I learned uh, from some mentors of mine Mm -hmm. uh, to do informational interviews. So when I went to the University of Texas, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I um, was in my sophomore, junior year, and you're supposed to figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. I didn't know except that I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I wanted to own my own business one day. So I got this idea from a mentor of mine to do informational interviews. Okay. And so I did 50 informational interviews in the span of like six or seven months, which is a lot, a lot of interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Can you explain what, what that is, informational interview?
0: Yeah, so basically I would hit up mostly people that are in the entrepreneurial world, a lot of tech people, and this was like 2002, 2003, 2004, somewhere in that span more like two thousand three. Mm. And um basically saying, hey, I'm a college student. Um, you know, I'd love to learn more about what it is that you do. Sure. What do you like about what you do? What do you not like about what you do? Just sort of picking people's brains about what it you know, what their path was to get to where they were and the successful path that they are on. Mm-hmm. And so Typically, as a college student, I would always offer to pay for the breakfast or the lunch or the coffee or whatever anybody was willing to spend some time with me on. Mm-hmm. And I'd say 98% of the time, they would pick up the tab or whatever. And, you know, as a college kid, like, that thats that—that matters. Right. I had you know the same I mean? thing,
2: man. I've done the same exact thing. And
0: um, But I ev- after every single one, so I'd always take notes. I'd always do my homework. I'd prepare, right? I wouldn't just show up and just sit there and be like, tell me everything. Like, I would do my homework, and um, I'd always ask them to sort of try to connect me with somebody else that they thought that I should talk to. Mm-hmm. And then I would stack meetings, you know, weeks in advance as much as I possibly could because these are successful business people, yeah. and they, you know, they're not, their schedules are busy too. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was a tremendous learning experience for me to do all these informational interviews, mm-hmm. and that led me... So that led me down the path of
2: commercial real estate. Mm. Couple of quick questions, real quick. Yeah. Um, did you get a lot of negativity uh, from people that you were reaching out to, and did you stop doing that?
0: I don't recall any negativity. Okay. People are generally happy to to help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, spend an hour with you. You know, I'm. You know, trying to trying to learn. At the time, I'm a college kid, but even even after that. I'm trying to. I'm also trying to find ways to add value to them. Right. My,
1: couldn't always do that. Right. Um, would you say that that was the case uh, just in college, or still to today? Because you said people are happy to help, and I would say that. I mean, that would probably be, I guess, well known for college students, like helping college students. Sure. But today, it might not be as well received from a professional um, who maybe. We, they don't know if they could if you could add value.
0: So our our mentality, personally, and with my, my partnership and, and, and our company, are we're always ready and willing to add value and, and share with without expecting anything at all right. in return. Um, there are, certainly are going to be people out there that aren't willing to open right. up like that. I don't I don't see it too much. We don't affiliate with that, and if if it crosses our path, we're just you know we're going to move on really Let it quick. slide off.
2: Yeah. And the and the reason I ask, I was on a call yesterday calling multifamily owners <laughs> and this guy freaked out. Yeah. And he's like, "Hey, how'd you get how'd you get my number?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm an investor. I'm starting to like go I was going to tell him." And he's like, "No, I asked you how'd you get my number?" I'm like, "Dude, like mm. sorry that you're having a bad day." And and it really it really did kind of like it got my my heart racing cuz he's like attacking me and mm. it's just important to be able to to blow those things off, right? Cuz I think it's going to happen maybe 1 or 2% of the time.
0: Um, yeah but i don't know that asking how you got his number doesn't
2: seem like an attack the way the way he so he cut me off so he's like he's like how'd you get my number I'm like well i'm an investor said that's not what i asked you how'd you how'd you get my number yeah and then he and then he goes into you're gonna be in a world of hurt he literally said that to me and after the call i'm like dude like yeah the fact that he said world of hurt this guy's (laughs) in a in a bad spot yeah yeah. But, but, I mean, that it did affect me in a in a bad yeah, way. You he, know? he might have woken up on the
0: wrong side of the bed. You have no idea what's going on in that guy's life. 100%, you know? man. So it's not about you.
2: Right? No, it's definitely not. <laughs> it's not about me, and but it's about me being able to wipe that off and not let it affect me for the next call. Yeah. And the same vice versa. Like, you know, my mom could have died the day before, and I'm trying to make money for our family, and the, the fact that he's treated me like that, it's, it's just important not to treat people that way. But yeah. regardless, my whole point was... I reach out to people all the time, and a little bit of the time, people are like, no, like, absolutely not. And mm-hmm. it's important to, to figure out how to just not let that affect you. And that's why I was asking.
0: Um, I had a brief stint where I did door-to-door sales
1: mm-hmm.
0: as, a, as a project when I was in MBA school. And one of the, I don't know, lessons I learned there was to, like when you're doing things like this, pretend like you're wearing a rain jacket, and every no is like a raindrop, Hits the jack and just falls right off to the ground. Like, yeah. You don't absorb that in. That's right. what I'm
2: talking about. You that's know? that's some good let advice. It, let
0: it like seriously. Let it go. Like there's mm-hmm. no positive benefit to letting that affect you.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, so when you were at UT, what yeah. were you getting your degree in?
0: So I got a degree in government, and then they have a um, like a business foundations or a business minor program there. Okay and uh, thought that I was going to go to law school and become a lawyer and sure. came to my senses and glad that I didn't. Uh-huh. And then, um, yeah, so like I was saying, I was doing all those informational interviews, met several people who are super successful in the commercial real estate business. Uh, for example, I was connected to some of the guys, uh, the principals of Endeavor Real Estate mm-hmm. and, and several other people and some, and some real estate mentors of mine and Jason Mittman and uh, David Kahn and like some some local big players that are you know crushing it here sure. and so um, at some point after kind of interviewing enough people um, I got this idea to so I, I kind of figured out okay I want to go into real estate mm-hmm. but there's so many different aspects of real estate what I what do I want to focus on mm-hmm. so I had this idea to basically divide so I was focused on commercial mm-hmm. residential was not for a variety of reasons, was not the direction I wanted to go. Okay. And so I took a, a piece of paper and I, I drew like a T chart and I did, you know, there's like the landlord rep mm-hmm. and then there's the tenant rep and then there's industrial, there's retail, there's office, there's, you know, the multifamily can be considered commercial as well. Mm-hmm. And so I just, and then what I did is I went to the, uh, the Austin Business Journal book a list and I looked for the top people in each of those categories. And I filled those, you know, I put probably the top three people in each of those categories. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to them directly and said basically like, hey, you know, I'd love to learn more. I forgot exactly what I said. But basically I was putting myself in a position to get them to say yes mm-hmm. to meeting with me at a minimum for like a coffee. And mm-hmm. usually like I try to get a lunch with them. You can connect with people at a different level when you're sharing food for whatever reason. Yeah, And so um, that was super beneficial. Then. I kept running into guys that were involved in retail. Mm-hmm. So then I I was like, you know what? That's what I'm going to pursue. Mm-hmm. Found a mentor. sat found multiple mentors who were willing to work with me. And then uh, that helped me get my foot in the door at a big firm called Grub and Ellis, which is no longer here. I, it's rebranded, but it, it was like one of the top brokerage firms in town. Okay. And, um, and then I started figuring out how to get more education in commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. So then... Um, Pretty quickly, someone said, "Hey, you should go take some CCIM courses, which is a uh, commercial real estate uh, designation. Yeah, yeah, it's a like it's a higher level of commercial real estate uh, education.
1: Okay,
0: Um, went through that. Um, I think I was the youngest person in Austin to ever obtain." The actual designation. Wow! And so um, that kind of opened up the door. You know, now that I had the CCIM designation and gave me a little bit of credibility because I'm super young, mm-hmm. so I needed. I felt like I needed, and it, it turns out I didn't really need it. But if I felt like at the time that I needed something behind my name to say, "Hey, even mm-hmm. though I'm so young, I know what the heck I'm doing," and here's how to prove it. It says, "comma CCIM" after my name. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So that was.
2: On the on the meeting thing, because I'm a big advocate of meeting people. Like I'm sure when you're reaching out, these people, some of these people didn't respond or didn't want to meet. Yeah. What, what's the key? Just persistence.
0: Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's a numbers game as well. Right. Um, scheduling is always tough, especially with busy people. Even today, I mean, even my own schedule, and it. But you figure out a way to make it work. Right.
2: So, and and yeah. if someone isn't going to respond to that first email, are you going to send five emails or three? Or is it is it not detailed out like that?
0: Uh, yeah, it's, it was a gut feel. I don't know what to tell yeah, you about yeah. that one. No,
2: I, I feel the same way because you got to try to not annoy them. And I've had people where I've done it like 20 times and I knew I wasn't annoying them. And then eventually we met, and it was great. But, like, you would think 20 times would be overkill.
0: Yeah. You know, I could take a hint if they want to meet with me after 20 times. Right, You know, right. then it's okay. There's other you know, other fish in the sea. It's sure. no big deal.
2: Right. Absolutely. No, yeah. yeah. I mean, they would send me, like, you know, one little message every three. I'm like, okay, they're, they're cool with this, and I'd keep going. Yeah. yeah. End up working out. So I'm just a, a big advocate of I being think, persistent. Yeah,
0: it's more like, um, you know, if you ask for a lunch yeah. and they don't <laughs> respond then you can kind of downgrade and say, okay, how about a coffee? Right. And maybe, I don't know, hopefully they respond to that point, but if they don't be like, let me just stop by your office for 15 minutes.
2: Right. Yeah. That's a good, that's yeah, a good it's
1: like, Let me put just it. peek in your window. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know,
0: everybody has 15 minutes. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, come yeah. on. Yeah. That's a good
2: point. I for like sure.
0: that.
1: Yeah. So, um, so uh, you went to UT. So did you grow up here
0: in Austin? Uh, I did not. Okay. I grew up in Dallas. Uh, okay. Went to high school there.
1: Gotcha.
0: Uh, although my family is got pretty deep roots in Austin. As a matter of fact. Cool. So um, I'm a. I wasn't born here, but I'm a fourth generation Austinite. My grandmother was born here. Her father came here uh, from uh, Poland. Okay. And so, and my grandfather uh, also. His parents came from Poland. He grew up in Galveston. Came to the University of Texas at the age of fifteen. Wow. So, anyways, and then uh, fast forward, they had a chain of liquor stores, the largest chain of liquor stores throughout Austin. Nice. And then uh, sold that to Twin Liquors back in like two thousand one. Okay. Something like that. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a there's a lot of entrepreneurial spirit in my family, sure. especially in Austin.
1: Yeah, gotcha. Is there any uh, real estate in your family before you or are you no? The
0: um, no, I was the first person to get into the real estate business. Um, they my father's a pediatric dentist in Dallas. Okay, cool. So like he owned his real estate but it wasn't like he was in the real estate business. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, as far as like people in my family, unfortunately no, I was not uh, around that as a background. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: And are you an only child, or do you have any siblings?
0: I have an older brother and a younger sister. My older brother, they both live here in Austin. My brother's in the tech industry, and my sister um, has actually uh, pursued uh, residential real estate now. So she's a residential agent, and it gives me a lot of uh, pleasure to mentor her and Mm -hmm. try to help her the best way I can.
1: Yeah, I got you, yeah. So what do you think, uh, I guess, led you to... So in college, you were saying you, you took the initiative to set up these meetings, to go out and meet people... Um, and then you said you went through the Austin Business Journal and mm-hmm. you were kind of just like, you know, looking up names and numbers and, and what you could do. What gave you that initiative and that drive? What, um, mm-hmm. I guess, because nobody, no one told you to do that, right? No one, like, has yeah. laid out a blueprint and said, this is what you need to do. But somehow you had that initiative and that drive to go forward with that.
0: I, I have to say it's my parents. Yeah. Yeah. Just amazing parents. I mean, my dad it has been called... Mr. Rogers many times in his life he's just the kindest <laughs> That's um, awesome. he's yeah all about education and teaching and um it's a pleasure my mom's incredible as well and mm-hmm. um and you know just good good family roots I'd say and just um you know right now I'm just driven just excited about what we're up to in business and excited to be adding value to our clients and in, in this world. So it's, right. it's just fun. Shout yeah. out to
2: the good parents. Hey, yeah. hey, hey, hey. Right. mom, dad. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, well, that's a
1: good segue. So let's jump forward to today. Um, so I guess just tell us you know, who you're with and, and what you're doing. What do you have going on?
0: Yes. Yeah, so I am um, with HJH Investments. Okay. It's a real estate syndication company. F- based in Wichita, Kansas. I joined the firm earlier this year. And um, uh, my partner, Corey Harkle Rhodes, started this company about five years ago. And what we do is, um, our mission is to protect our investors' capital. Mm -hmm. And so the way that we go about doing that is we we have a, a researcher on our team and he does research every single day. We all do as a team, but he's our he's our primary point of contact. Mm-hmm. And he's researching commercial real estate properties that fit in our box. Mm-hmm. And what fits in our box as far as acquisitions are properties where at least thirty percent of the tenancy is triple B credit or higher with more than five years of term on the lease. Mm-hmm. So that's, a, that's, that's the box that we like to play in, so to speak. Okay. And so if, if a property fits in that box, so he's looking at between 800 and 1500 deals every week which is a ton of deals. I mean, he's looking at everything that comes through crexy and CoStar and LoopNet and Marcus and Millichap and HFF and CBRE and blah, blah, blah. And so we get all those emails and then we funnel it down to see, okay, does it fit in our box? Mm-hmm. If it fits in our box, then we're going to be looking for motivated sellers. And there's there's a couple different ways where we can determine if they're a motivated seller. If something comes on the market, and remember, we, we know this market. Mm-hmm. Um, if it, it comes on the market and it's like a, Seven and a half or an eight cap or something like that, and it comes on the market at like a eight and a half or a nine cap, but it should be a it should be it should be worth more than what they're trying to sell for. That that sends a red flag to us and says, "Okay, maybe there's some motivation here." Mm-hmm. And then we'll make an offer on it, typically within 24 hours of that property hitting the market. Gotcha. Or we have a lot of things that come to us that are off market as well.
1: Sure, yeah. And
0: so these are, you know, shopping centers, office buildings, industrial properties because they all have high credit tenants with long-term leases. Mm-hmm. And then we make offers. We make about 16 offers a week. And then out of those 16 offers, we'll probably get one deal under contract. Mm-hmm. And then we have systems in place to go through the due diligence. And, you know, we vet it. We scrub all the leases. We go to it. We, we tell the landlord once we go under contract, we assure them that we are going to be physically on property mm-hmm. within two weeks of being under contract.
1: Okay.
0: And these are properties that are geographically diverse around the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask. Primarily focused on deals in the Midwest, mm-hmm. so Missouri uh, Kansas, Michigan, and Ohio. We just bought a deal in, uh, Indiana. So there's, there's really, um, we're finding that there's less competition in those geographic areas. Sure. And yet we're still getting really great high quality tenants who occupy the buildings that we're, Mm. that we're pursuing.
2: Right. Yeah. Quick question. Uh, the, the guy that's doing all the offers and getting all the emails, is he kind of on an island until he gets something under contract, and then he brings the team in. How does that kind of
0: yeah? Um, so you know, all that is happening up in the office in Wichita uh, to an extent. I'd say the short answer is more yes than no. Mm-hmm. He's not on an island. I mean, he's connected to everybody else. He's he's he shares a door with our CEO. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that he really enjoys kind of keeping his head down and yeah. being focused. That's what and I feel like. That
2: role would just be like, hey. Just zone in. Yeah. You know, that sounds like a lot of work that he's doing. Yeah. Know, until it gets under contract. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of offers. There's a lot of vetting. There's a lot of, you know, digging. Mm-hmm. But, that, but digging. that
2: guy's running the numbers to figure out what to offer and, and everything like that.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, and usually what's happening is we, we win a lot of deals. And this is a good lesson for everybody. We win because we are usually the first offer in the door. So we will make an offer within 24 hours of a deal hitting the market. Okay. Another thing that we do that I, I don't think other people do as much is we we don't send letters of intent. We send signed purchase contracts.
2: Yeah, that's smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And so it's like, we, you know, we don't want to go back and forth with the LOI. It's like, hey, let's move forward. Look, this, this is a deal we want to do. Mm-hmm. Sign
2: right here and we're good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So the other thing that we do is we will write out the gate. We will send them a list of references
2: mm-hmm.
0: and, and basically... Oof strongly encourage them to call these people mm-hmm. because when we engage in, in doing a deal we're serious about it and we're moving forward very very quickly because time is of the essence mm-hmm. when you when the clock starts ticking with his due diligence days i mean it can go fast yeah so we really like if if we have an agreement we're going to move forward really really fast we kind of kind of warn the seller hey this is how it's going to go and we're going to you know jump on board and we have a third-party company that helps us with due diligence as well mm-hmm. and then we nice. have a uh, it's not we have a, a close relationship with an attorney um who will help us as well so there's we kind of have like a multiple um multiple pronged approach to the due diligence process mm-hmm. but it, and it depends on what it is if it's a single tenant deal you approach it differently than if it's a multi-tenant deal mm-hmm. and so i mean if it's single tenant really it's it's pretty straightforward. So you do sure, you do,
2: yeah. do single tenant? You do a lot of those, or
0: yeah, we just closed on a uh, large single tenant uh, property last week.
2: Oh, is that was that the Academy one? That was the Academy nice. Sports deal. Cool. Yeah. Oh, cool. But not like a, that's like a bigger. You wouldn't do like a, a freestanding Chili's or Applebee's or something like that. Um,
0: if if it um, has credit mm-hmm. and it has more than five years on the lease term, mm-hmm. that so the deal we just bought has ten years right um, commitment, and then uh, and if we buy it at the right price so we bought that at like a 10 cap just about mm-hmm. so for us to make sense of the numbers mm-hmm. so we typically and, and it could change but we typically when we talk about structure how we structure our deals are we trade together sure. yeah,
1: before we I'm sorry before we yeah. dive into this, for the listeners because yeah. you said 10 cap earlier you said eight cap nine cap can you break that down just for the listeners so they know
0: so cap is uh, short for capitalization rate. Mm-hmm. Um, I would first encourage everybody to Google it so I don't, you know, (laughs) tell you the wrong thing if you want to know and you don't know what a cap rate is, but, uh, the short answer is, um, it is a way to determine what kind of return Mm -hmm. you're going to obtain on your commercial real estate investment. The best way I could show you the math is if you are, if your objective is to get a 10% return. Right, right. which and you want to get a hundred thousand dollars in income. Mm-hmm. This is an annual; these are annual numbers. Right, then you can afford to pay a million dollars. Right, right. Uh, the num and the thing the confusing thing about cap rates are that the numbers are inverse. Right. so a lower cap rate means it's you're paying a higher price. Right. And vice versa, mm-hmm. that part can be confusing for people. Gotcha. Yeah,
2: yeah. And it's basically, you know, the formula is net operating income over the price. Correct. Cap rate. Yeah. But Th- I, that, I always that's it, a simple way. Yeah. But I keep it simple. The same way you said is like, ten cap is a ten percent return. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's um, it's, it's it's lingo that people in commercial real estate mm-hmm. use on a very regular basis. Mm-hmm. And if your audience is looking to pursue commercial real estate, first thing I would do is get educated. Yeah on, you know, all these types of things. Right.
2: And you're right, though, the the inverse, like if if you take a property from a 10 cap to a a six cap, it's going down, you're actually making a lot more money. (laughs) You've
1: done well. Yeah, you've done well. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. Um, Okay, so sorry I interrupted. No, you're fine. We are going to break down the deal?
0: Yeah, so um, I want to share a couple things that are a little bit different about the way that we structure deals than I think other people are accustomed to. So remember, we, we're buying things that are stabilized on day one. Mm-hmm. We're not looking to go in and fix a bunch of stuff. Got it. So we're looking to buy deals that are stabilized from motivated sellers, generally. Mm-hmm. And so we have cash flow. The moment we close, um, we structure our deals where we put between 70 and 80% LTV, uh, loan to value. Mm-hmm. And we do that on every deal, depending on the deal. Sometimes it's 70, sometimes 80. Let's just say 75 is pretty typical in today's market. Sure. Um, and we get uh, debt on a deal-by-deal basis from either banks or local, sometimes regional, sometimes whatever. Mm-hmm. And then what we have done is we structured our deal where we bring in um, a high, ultra-high net worth individual okay. to come and personally guarantee the debt. And so what they do is they what happens is they will get uh, between 20 and 22 percent of the of the of the deal Mm -hmm. of the general partnership. So we give up a big chunk of our ownership in exchange. We get incredible debt. And so it also allows us to scale to go out and buy big properties. It allows us. So we bought, I think, 11 properties this year and we're probably going to do between 12 and 15 next year. So that's a deal every month mm-hmm. that I'm raising capital for and that we need debt for. Mm-hmm. And so in order to scale that, so we have found uh, partners of ours who um, you know, are very wealthy people and they have room on their balance sheet. They like that they get passive income mm-hmm. from these deals. And then our LPs get to benefit from really great debt. Because mm-hmm. as soon as the bank sees the property, our team, and that th- we have a guarantor that's willing to kiss the note, mm-hmm. then, we get just incredible terms. Got it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then also the the LPs don't ever have to worry about a cash call. Should, God forbid, something go sideways and there's a need for cash, the, the guarantor is the backstop and also, if needed, could lend money to the partnership mm. for tenant improvement allowance or commissions or something like that.
1: Got it. Yeah.
0: So um, that's one thing that... Um, I think you know could help your audience you know if they have a deal mm-hmm. that you know is maybe a little bit bigger than they personally want to pursue maybe it's a big debt but they know it's a great deal look in your network look at you know friends family business people Appro. don't be afraid to approach people and say hey I got this deal but I need someone's signature to help me get this deal done mm-hmm. right and you're gonna have to be willing to give up some equity to do it sure but at least you're getting the deal done, right? And it, it, as long as the deal makes sense, mm-hmm. and as long as there's a there's a you know high level of trust, in, in the relationship between you and whoever is signing that debt,
1: mm-hmm. right? Gotcha.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. So fast forward, we got our debt lined up. Um, so then I get involved. Okay. So my role is raising capital. So I raise capital for every one of these deals. Um, and so what I do is I, I will bring the deal to our investors, mm-hmm. people that I have relationships with. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of individuals. Usually it's like $100,000 minimum to get into one of our deals. We can be flexible and go down to 50 if it's like a first time investor kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then um, we'll go and pull all the money together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we will uh, structure the deal where we're paying our investors an 8% preferred return Okay. And we pay that every month starting on month one. And then we will split revenues after that 50-50 between the LPs, the people that put the, our partners that put the money in the deal, and then our side that is the sponsor, the syndicator, however you want to put it. Got it. And so uh, there aren't any asset management fees. There's no other. There's no other fees. Mm-hmm. So what happens is it's it, pretty
2: rare, I think, right? Yeah, FW, I mean it's, S- it's it's
0: just different. And... I don't know if it's rare. I don't know if other people are doing it, but it allows us to scale this, you right. know, pretty rapidly. I know
2: it's kind of, uh, a little bit rare, more so on the multifamily. Like I see everyone charging that, but retail's a little yeah. different for me.
0: Yeah, um, with retail, office, and industrial, um, a lot of times the expenses are are passed through through triple nets.
1: Right.
2: And uh, so yeah. I hear ya. <laughs> you.
0: We have a little technical difficulties.
2: You're
1: okay.
0: Um, okay cool
2: (laughs) yeah okay cool
0: and so um yeah it's a little bit different but that's that's what i want to educate people to kind of think outside the box a little bit because there are other ways to structure it beyond what you know bigger pockets tells you you're supposed to do or whatever like right um, we, we decided that the best way to protect our investors' capital was to not charge any asset management fees at all right. and make sure that our investors are paid first with right. that 8% preferred return. Right. And then um, instead of taking fees or whatever, it's just 50-50 after that.
2: Right. So you're, you're a little bit more aligned on the performance versus just getting a fee to, to keep the deal going. Exactly. Yeah, that's cool. Exactly.
0: And so our investors...
2: Um,
0: they're pretty happy right now. We're, we're, you know, That's great. we pay out every month. We, um, you know, we have uh, quarterly reporting and, you know, they can all go onto an online portal with some software we have to, they can, any, any moment they can see, you know, what, you know, they're, how they're performing and all that kind of mm. stuff. So people love
2: that. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. So, um, with, with buying these properties in multiple markets, You know, I, we obviously look at the management side of some of these things. Uh Um, Do you just go find local partners to manage the property?
0: Yeah. So let's talk about management. So Mm -hmm. in commercial, it, it, uh, it depends like that single tenant deal we just bought. Um, the tenant (laughs) is responsible for a bulk of the management Mm -hmm. with a couple exceptions. So really, there really isn't anything except managing the, the finances. Okay. Um, so, but on multi tenant deals where, let's say, it's office or retail or even industrial, if there is a need for a lot of management, then what we have done is, uh, and, and this is also a good lesson for everybody, we have um, we've split management in half. So, there's the physical, the, uh, you know, dealing with the roof leaks and parking lot and lights and landscaping and whatever. Right. So, that is handled by a third party property management local. Got it. Then the, the part that we kind of split away is the financial side of it, Mm -hmm. collecting of the rents, paying taxes, insurance, expenses, Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, so that happens in-house. We have an uh, in-house, uh, accounting department Mm -hmm. that handles all those numbers. Gotcha. And so that, that allows us to make sure that our, uh, quarterly reporting is, you know, whatever the word is it's always uniform consistent Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, Yeah. and all that and and then it allows us to make sure that we have boots on the ground Mm. should there ever be an issue locally that you know needs to be addressed Mm. and that they so they all the local property management they report to tim selnick in our office who is a 30-year industry property management veteran who um, has the experience and knows how to you know kind of Direct the local people. Speak the lingo. Yeah, yeah that, right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Very cool. Gotcha. Yeah,
1: yeah. Have you uh, done any investing yourself? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So I On started the side or. or... <laughs> yeah, um, I first of all with uh, I started as an investor mm-hmm. with Hjh Investments um, and really liked what was happening with the company, and then after many many months of meeting with uh, my partner. Um, then at that point I decided to actually join this company. Mm-hmm. I put my brokerage hat on hold, kind of put my brokerage business aside and sure. focus on just raising capital and kind of tapping into all the relationships that i built over my 15 years of experience in commercial real estate. Yeah. Um, and so as far as like personal investing, um, I, uh, I do invest in all the deals personally, not mm. all of them, but just as about as many as I possibly can with free cash flows, putting into the deals. Right. Uh, I also have some uh, development experience, developed some stuff in San Marcos, so cool. I have some ownership in buildings down there. I have ownership in, um, so the first residential property I purchased is a condo on South Congress, okay. and I bought that in 2013. And so uh, I lived in that for about a year and a half or two years, mm-hmm. um, and had a roommate. So I, 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 I bought a, uh, it's a three-bedroom, two-bath condo on South Congress. Cool. And rented one of the rooms that basically covered half my mortgage. Yeah, and then I moved out, and it's been 100% rented ever since then. So, yeah, nice. so I moved out. Now I live in East Austin, bought one of those you know modern-looking houses over there. Cool. And um, now I'm like traveling so much. Like I travel two, three times
1: uh-huh.
0: uh, a month right now. So you're
1: the one who's going out to these properties in that
0: two weeks. So as far as my travel is concerned, half my time I'm traveling to investor conferences. Okay. So um, where I raise a lot of capital,
1: mm-hmm.
0: go to, um, my next one will be this group called the Society of Exchange Counselors. Okay. And we meet six times a year. That's how I met my partner, Corey. And uh, that's been one of the best wealth of knowledge groups that I've been involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other half of the time, yeah, I'm going to the actual properties that we are pursuing. Gotcha. So, yeah, quite a bit of travel right now.
2: Very cool. I'm just curious. Like, it seems like because your main role is capital raising, it almost seems like, I guess it's good for you to put eyes on the property, but it almost seems like it'd be better to just always be raising capital and not necessarily going. But I guess you need to see the property. Yeah.
0: I mean, my, another role I have is investor relations. And if an investor is thinking about putting, you know, a large chunk of money into a deal, Mm. I feel like it's prudent for me to actually physically have been there. Yeah, absolutely. So I can talk about the area and, you know, how I got there from the airport and, what um, like just you know you can just see things differently than what you right. can see on Google Maps. Right, a good point. Yeah, and walk all the spaces and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. So, um, with your current position, um, I know you said you know in college when you know you kind of started having that entrepreneurial bug.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, is that I guess fulfilling that um, I guess that that need for you, or I guess scratching that itch.
0: Yeah, I mean, right now, I feel like I've, I'm the happiest I've ever, ever been in my career. Yeah, nice. I mean, I'm just loving what I'm doing. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not selling these syndications. I'm offering opportunities right. to my friends and investors and family and say, hey, here's an opportunity.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I like this opportunity. Here's why. Here's, you know, and also, by the way, here some here's some of the risks. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, if you like it, great. And if not, that's fine, too.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Luckily, like, we have a couple hundred investors and that number's growing pretty rapidly because I have a lot of relationships mm-hmm. and I go to a lot of meetings and I'm showing up and now starting to kind of dabble in this whole podcast world a little bit. And that's right. super fun. And thank you for, again for having yeah, me. Yeah, so, um So, yeah, so it's, it's I'm just, I love what I'm doing right that's now. That's cool.
2: I love, I like how it can just grow exponentially, right? Like if yeah. you do good for these investors, they're going to bring you more investors. And the other thing, totally. and, and correct me, but... I feel like I've seen people doing syndications for a while, and it, it almost seems like everyone's doing multifamily. It, it seems to me like yeah. the retail is a little niche, like a great niche for you, yeah. but a lot a lot less people do it. And, and it seems like it might be a little bit more relatively new as far as people getting into retail syndications. I'm not sure.
0: Um, I know a lot of people in the retail office and industrial syndications. Um, I guess... For whatever reason, it's not being talked about as much. It's really not. Um, I feel like
2: it... I think maybe multifamily is easier to get into.
0: Yeah, I think so. Because yeah. it's like... it's. It's pretty easy to understand how to fix up an apartment unit, and I yeah. mean the, the numbers are pretty basic. When it comes to retail, there's just so many more intricacies. People like hear headlines and think Amazon is going to destroy retail. Mm-hmm. I firmly do not believe that retail is dead. I mm-hmm. think it's it's obviously changed. I think a lot of tenants have been flushed out, and there still are tenants that will be flushed out. But sure. a lot of things have changed in the in the retail industry. Yeah,
2: and it it seems to me like. Everybody wants to invest in multifamily because it's easy to understand.
0: And I don't. <laughs>
2: <laughs> mostly, a lot of people do. But, well, yeah. but the but the idea that I'm getting at is that to get in the retail space is a lot more about who you know and what you did with the networking to find those right people. Seems like there's something to that.
0: Yeah, To an extent, I mean, it's different to try to underwrite uh, a retail deal, to underwrite the tenant's. You know, we're looking at the unit economics of the actual businesses themselves, right. and like we're buying a multi-tenant uh, office building right now. And to an extent, it's like an apartment complex. We have twenty different; it's almost like twenty different tenants. Yeah. But we look at each of the tenants, and they most of them have between three and five years on their leases. But we're looking at a dentist and a chiropractor and an eye doctor and yada yada yada. And so. Um, it's just it's just different when when the tenants leave. It's going to be a totally different process to turn over the space than it is to turn over an apartment.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. But we have much longer term leases. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: If so, you had if you had fifty apartment units on top of that retail, is mm-hmm. that something you guys would do?
0: It doesn't work for our model. Got it. We since we have to have we have to know going in that we have the consistent cash flow because we pay consistent cash flow, and with an apartment complex, yeah, there is. It's just not in our business model. And also, like, we have to buy deals at 9, 10 caps. I don't see that happening in the multifamily business at all. Mm -hmm. So we're very cash flow driven. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people in the apartment business, partially cash flow, but also they're expecting significant appreciation. Right. And uh, we like both. Right. So, um, we like less competition. Yeah, absolutely. Every, I mean, multifamily is the hot thing right now, and that's great, but it's just not for us.
2: Right. No, that's what, that's what I was saying. That's a pretty cool niche. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I have one last question uh, for you before we close out, but before we do, I have to give a shout-out to our sponsor, uh, which is Texas Best Credit Repair. Um, if you guys have background, any good credit, or if you have good credit, any great credit, call our buddy Sammy at Texas Best Credit Repair, or you can go to TexasBestCreditRepair.com. They're just awesome people. Sam's the man. Yeah, I mean, they're just good people all around. So, final question for you. All right. Um, is, I guess, for a... I mean, you like I said, you've been, you know, driven and self-motivated um, for, you know, a lot of your professional career and during college. Um, so, from all of your experiences over your life, what is the, I guess, the one thing that you would <laughs> offer advice to, like, a young entrepreneur or um, somebody young in the real estate game?
0: Uh, man, you really put me on the spot there. <laughs> that one thing. <laughs>
1: um... Yeah, um, one
0: thing. Well, I would say, it sounds cliche, but, you know, follow your passions. Okay. Right? Follow yeah. things that, that you're excited about. Right. And, um, you know, work hard and find some great mentors. You know, if you, if they don't deal with jerks, don't deal with people that you don't mm. want to mess with. Like, there's so many great a- people a- out a- there,
1: uh-huh.
0: um, and just, um. Try not to worry too much. I'm. I'm. This is. This is good advice for myself right now. Just to remind myself. Right. Well, yeah. I'm thinking what, sure. what you kind of started
2: on was, and, and what I'm a big believer in, and you are too, is the networking. Right. Just like getting out there and meeting get out there. That's kind of what, what you did.
0: Yeah. I. Uh, I've learned every time. Just take the step. If you're thinking about it, just just do it. And you know, it's it take small small steps, make small experiments. Mm-hmm. You know, fail small if you need to, mm-hmm. and uh, just surround yourself with great. You know, loving, supportive, smart, experienced people.
1: That's awesome. Good so, advice. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, for our listeners, um, if they're interested in, um, I guess, learning more about you or about your business, how can they find you?
0: Sure. So uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So oh, nice. Ben Kogut. Last name is spelled K-O-G-U-T. Kogut. Mm-hmm. Um, I am. Uh, my email is ben at h j h ten thirty one dot com cool. that's also our website hjh1031.com uh we have a, a short list of uh for our investors if anybody wants to get on our list to see our deals we have a new deal coming out just about every month mm-hmm. and we raise money on a deal-by-deal basis so you can just sit back and watch our deals if you want and jump in whenever you want cool. and uh, you can find me on instagram Haven't tapped into TikTok yet, but I hear that's (laughs) a thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it, guys. Don't (laughs) do it. I have a 13 year old nephew who's like all (laughs) about (laughs) TikTok. that's a little too
0: Not my thing yet, but you know, people talk about it. So, yeah. So, And then, yeah, call me on my cell. How about that? 512 422 9323.
1: Cool. There you go. I'll put your information in the show notes below. Ben, thank you again so much. Gentlemen. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. Signing off, guys. Oh, oh,